The Crimopedia podcast is a completely independent show that explores content of a potentially violent and disturbing nature. Please use your listening discretion. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. My name is Allison, I'm your host, and today we are going to the state of Florida to visit an ongoing case where after years of tumultuous, reciprocal domestic violence, George Torres was allegedly murdered by his girlfriend, Sarah Boone, after she left him locked in a suitcase for at least over 12 hours. I gotta be honest with you, today's episode discusses some pretty brutal domestic violence, which is a difficult topic for many, including myself. So this is your extra trigger warning that if this topic hits a little too deep, feel free to step away now. Okay, with that, let's jump right in. It's difficult to find information about Sarah Boone on the internet. From my research, it seems like Sarah was originally from Orlando, Florida, and was previously married at some point in her life. Upon digging into Sarah Boone's Facebook profile, there wasn't very much to find, but her profile photo is a zoomed-in picture of half of a baby's face. Some reports speculate that she may have a single son. It's unclear where this child is, if he's actually her son, or where he was when the incident I'm going to talk to you about today took place. But regardless, in early 2017, when this whole story starts, Sarah Boone met a young man named George Torres. According to his Facebook profile, which is much more open than hers, he was originally from Philadelphia, but eventually moved to Florida. It also seems that most of his family lives in Florida, including siblings who evidently miss him dearly from their own Facebook posts. I'm not sure if George Torres or the rest of his family is actually from Philadelphia, but that's what it says on his Facebook. However, most of his family seems very proud to be living in Florida now. When Sarah and George met in 2017, it didn't take very long for tension to build between them, but not solely from brewing love or desire. Only after a few months of dating, the two moved in together and within a single year, they were already having frequent visits to their home in Winter Park, Florida from Orange County Police for reports of domestic disputes. I'm going to preface the rest of this story by saying that much of the behavior seen between these two resemble almost a textbook example of a toxic relationship. It seemed like the love that they shared existed somewhere in a self-perpetuating loop of resentment and anger. What I mean by this is that George had been arrested at least three times in Orange County, according to my reading, for battery against Sarah, and she bailed him out every time. Similarly, one of the most prominent or alarming incidences, I should say, between the two occurred in July of 2018, not too far off from being only a single year from when they met. Sarah Boone and her boyfriend George had been out at a bar, and he had accused her of speaking with another man, which it's unclear if she was. But according to an arrest affidavit from this incident, Sarah Boone claims that when the couple got home, he had dragged her upstairs and began to kick her in the eye. Conversely, George claimed that as he was walking up the stairs in their Winter Park home, Sarah grabbed him by the throat and began to apply enough pressure to cause him to struggle to breathe. For this incident, George Torres faced a battery charge and Sarah faced an aggravated battery charge with strangulation. 
but the case was eventually dropped, likely in part because neither party was willing to seek medical treatment for their injuries, sign paperwork related to education on dating violence, or press charges against each other. And again, all of this was happening within only a year of them even knowing each other. From my reading, it seems like this cycle continued on and on and on until, well, what we're going to talk about today. It didn't seem like a whole week would go by without either one of them starting an issue with the other. Both George and Sarah were arrested numerous times in connection to episodes of violence that would result in one of them getting injured. It was a very scary, very dangerous, very, very toxic relationship, to say the least. But in another prominent incident the following year, on July 15th of 2019, Police arrived at the couple's home after another explosive episode of violence ensued after Sarah was once again accused of talking to another man. According to the criminal complaint for this incident, Sarah says that her boyfriend George beat her on the face, head, legs, and arms. When she pleaded with him to stop, he threatened her life. Police did note a red lump on the side of Sarah's face and scratches on her neck that substantiated her story, but at that time, again, she refused medical treatment. Sarah eventually did sign more educational paperwork about domestic violence and claimed to be willing to testify against George. According to an article by Aaron Lavoya for Heavy, court records show that she in fact did. But George was continuously denying the allegations being made against him, saying that he put his hands on Sarah at all. Regardless of how it actually played out, what we do know is that George was granted release so long as he avoided alcohol, drugs, and Sarah. But of course, as these relationships go, that didn't last for very long, and later in the fall of 2019, George Torres was arrested again for entering her home while she was sleeping, evidently violating the conditions of his bond. His defense in this arrest was that Sarah always beats on him too, but he never calls the police on her, so it's unfair. Based on Sarah's criminal history, it seems plausible that that is true, although cops were certainly called, if not by George, by others who overheard. This particular case of domestic violence was closed in October of 2019, but their story doesn't end there. From my research, it's unclear when this happened, but again, as these relationships go, George and Sarah couldn't stay away from each other, and eventually, they did start living together once again. On the night of February 23rd in 2020, only a few weeks before the whole world shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Sarah Boone and George Torres were at their home together in Winter Park, Florida, drinking wine and playing what Sarah calls a friendly game of hide-and-seek. According to Sarah, George's hiding spot was inside of a full-sized blue suitcase on the living room floor. It's unclear from my reading and from her statements whether or not George willingly entered the suitcase to participate in this game in actuality, or she subdued him into it in another episode of violence. According to one report for Sports Kita by Juliana James, Sarah stated that both her and George thought it would be funny if he went in there, so he willingly got inside. And it seems that Sarah might have taken advantage of his vulnerability in that moment, subsequently zipping the suitcase all the way closed from the outside. With George still being locked inside of the suitcase, Sarah Boone then decided it was time for bed, so she went upstairs and fell asleep. In some versions of her statements later made to police, Sarah claims she only consumed a single glass of wine and wasn't even that drunk, but in other versions, she claims she went to bed and just drunkenly passed out. 
Sarah claims that she had forgotten George was still in the suitcase and didn't realize until a few hours after she woke up the next day on February 24th. When she woke up around 11 a.m., which according to her was only because her phone was ringing, without regard for the whereabouts of her boyfriend, she decided to browse on the computer until approximately 1 p.m. when she conveniently recalled that George was most likely still in the suitcase. Upon opening it, unsurprisingly, George Torres was unresponsive and not breathing. Sarah's first instinct in that moment was to call up her ex, who lived relatively close by, and only when he prompted her to call 911, she did so, and Orange County Police were on the scene promptly. I don't, like, this was totally, like, not intentional. Like, that's what I'm scared about, too, like. As you'll come to learn about Sarah Boone, the only thing she seems to be able to say for herself is that this whole incident was not intentional. It seems that, to Sarah, the way the detectives perceive her intention is really important, and this is even further verified by the next clip I'm going to show you, and this audio comes from the same body camera on Orange County deputies when they arrived at the home of Sarah and George Torres. As you'll hear, it seems that all Sarah is concerned about is making sure the detectives know that this wasn't intentional and trying to coax them into regurgitating that back to her. Really, what she's trying to do is subtly or not so subtly make sure the detectives think that she is not suspicious. And amusingly, they refuse to verify that for her. But how, I mean, I understand what you guys and how you do it, and, you know, so, but, like, what do you just tell him? What do you tell his parents? Like, what's the, the reason? Why? Why? We tell them yeah. what we know at that point. Yeah. We tell them the truth. But yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna know what we're here, what, you know, what we're investigating, and that we're still... They're gonna think I killed him. Why would they think They always have said that. They've always, always, always have said that. What have they I said? I told you, it's because I'm the blue-eyed white dragon. That's what they call me. Because they don't want him with me. So he's basically just not really been around his family because he chooses me over them. My apologies for the wind in the background of that body cam audio, but now that you've heard what the conversations were like between the detectives and Sarah Boone, I want to describe to you what detectives saw when they got there. When deputies arrived to the shared residence of Sarah Boone and George Torres, they found George near the front door of the apartment next to the blue suitcase he had been encased in all night long. According to the criminal complaint document in this case, Orange County Police declared George dead almost immediately upon arrival. And although I've been unable to personally find this document myself, many sources report that post-mortem examination revealed his cause of death to be positional asphyxia, which, if you know what that means, it certainly makes sense. Positional asphyxia is a type of asphyxia, or oxygen deprivation arising from abnormal or restricted breathing. It occurs when a person's position prevents them from taking in enough air to survive. This can happen if you are situated in a way where your mouth and nose are blocked, or, likely in George's case, the chest was unable to fully expand. Although, as mentioned, I haven't seen George's autopsy report myself, I found a case study in the National Library of Medicine from the National Center for Biotechnology Information, or the NCBI. This case study delineates what death by positional asphyxia presents like, 
and according to the authors of it, a death determination in positional asphyxia is pretty heavily dependent on circumstances. In this particular case study, the deceased person ignored safety protocols on a piece of farming machinery and found themselves crouched under a trailer where they were immobilized after their clothes became stuck in a rotating shaft. Although not restricted to the confines of a suitcase, I can only imagine that their positioning was very reminiscent to George's. In this paper, the authors discuss classical signs of death by asphyxia, including redness or what appears to be burst blood vessels in the eyes, organs, and skin. In addition, according to the authors, it's common to see fluid buildup in the lungs and the brain, and it's common for the blood in the body to become more fluid-like and less viscous. However, the circumstances of asphyxia, again, are critical to examine when making a cause of death determination, especially with regard to positional asphyxia. In George's case, he was a grown man crouched into a suitcase, and although I haven't seen the document myself, the circumstances certainly make sense for me. It was also reported that first responders who arrived to the scene noticed that George had what was called a small laceration on his lip, some bruising around his eye, and scratches on his back. Whether these injuries were at least partially related to his position, such as the bruising around his eye being reminiscent of those broken blood vessels mentioned in the case study, or maybe these injuries were the result of him struggling to free himself. Others have speculated it's possible that other types of violence took place before he was inside at the hands of Sarah. It's completely unclear where these injuries came from, but all we know is that they exist and that Sarah denies being in a physical fight with George before he died. Upon canvassing the scene and having a curbside interview with Sarah out front of the house, Sarah eventually consented to having her phone searched thoroughly while detectives tried to piece together how this incident took place. They now had a dead man and an alive woman who was apparently none the wiser that her partner was suffocating to death in her living room. The circumstances of the case, regardless of what Sarah was telling them, certainly seemed suspicious at this point, and police needed to understand, at the very least, how this all took place. However, upon diving into the contents of her phone, investigators with the Orange County Police Department decided that they needed to speak with Sarah in person, and so they asked her to come in for a follow-up interview. What they found on Sarah's phone was damning, and the next day, on February 25th, 42-year-old Sarah Boone drove herself to the Orange County Sheriff's Office, where she was interviewed and subsequently informed that she was not free to go. Sarah Boone was placed under arrest that day for the second-degree murder of George Torres and held at the Orange County Jail without bond. According to the arrest affidavit, officers were very suspicious of her inconsistent statements on what occurred during the evening and early morning hours of February 23rd and 24th. Even further, when confronted with her phone, Sarah could offer no explanation for herself. What detectives found on her phone were two videos taken the night of George's death. In each, the camera is pointed directly at the blue suitcase where George is inside, and Sarah is heard in the background. In the first video, the suitcase is upside down, which seemingly occurred after George was struggling inside to free himself. In the second video, the suitcase is face up and on the other side of the living room. These videos are so haunting to me, so a fair warning that I'm going to play some of the audio now, the audio that damned Sarah by proving her motive, intent, and clear unwillingness to save George's life with no regard for the consequences of this sick game that she was playing. Here it is. 
Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. Fuck you. Sarah. <laughs> Fuck you. Sarah. <laughs> Stupid. Sarah. That's my name. Don't wear it up. Sarah. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Seriously. Yeah, that's when you do when you choke me. Sarah. Sarah, I can't breathe, babe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. That's <laughs> on you. I can't breathe, babe. Oh. That's what Sarah. I feel like when you chewing on me. Sarah. I Fuck can't you. Breathe, Sarah. Yeah. You should probably shut the fuck up. Sarah. For context, just so you know, I did cut the video down quite a bit. Um, it's really hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. And the silence in between his cries for help make it so much worse. But after this, Sarah, who in this audio is very clearly drunk, went to bed and left him there. Willingly, knowingly, with full intentions left him in that suitcase. I'll have the full video linked for you on my website at crimopediapod.ca. Um, I caution you with watching it. I, I don't know, something about it bothers me more than anything I've ever seen. But if there was ever any question about Sarah's intention, once detectives viewed those two videos, which I only showed you sort of a compilation, it was crystal clear. Certainly. Despite pleas for his life, she continues to sit there and laugh at him while he's dying, slowly. And this is a very far cry from her forgetting that he was in there and drunkenly passing out. It was crystal clear that she wanted him to suffer. And in the video, you can see him struggling. There's no indication that this is fun anymore, and there's no indication that she cares at all. This was more than enough evidence that the investigators needed to place her under arrest. And all Sarah ever had to say for herself is that it wasn't intentional. Well, I didn't like completely lock it. I mean, I opened it with one finger. I left enough in there for him to get out. Okay. And I wasn't planning on going upstairs and going to sleep. My plan was not to go upstairs and go to sleep. Well, that's what you did. Yeah. But not intentional, though. No, it's not malicious. Well, saying fuck you. It's not malicious. My intention was not to leave him in there. My intention was not to leave him in there. My plan was not to go upstairs and go to sleep. My plan was not to, he'll be up here any minute. But you yeah. willingly went upstairs and went to sleep. No one forced you to go upstairs and get My plan wasn't bed. also to leave him in the suitcase. He's asking to come out. He I didn't breathe. do it intentionally. My plan was not to leave him in the suitcase. Again, I don't think you all understand. Like, it's, I mean, it's not my, that was not my intention. <laughs> but my intention was not, again, oh good, I got him in there, now I'm just gonna go to sleep. My intention <coughs> was not for this to happen. Not intentional. I, I, I mean, I don't know what you all want me to tell you yeah. because this was not in any way, shape or form. Hand on the Bible, intentional. 
that's all Sarah can say for herself because the evidence speaks for itself. The video is damning. The injuries to George Torres were damning. I'll have the full interrogation footage linked for you on my website again at crimopediapod.ca, but if you choose to subject yourself to this entire hour and a half long video, I highly recommend taking notes of the mental gymnastics that Sarah Boone is doing. It's hard not to imagine that the detectives interrogating her at least don't find this somewhat humorous. One second she's saying she's drunk and she passed out, and the next second she's saying she wasn't drunk and she was only having a drink. She's trying to convince the detectives that her and George were playing together, they were having a great time, everything was fine and dandy, but the video clearly shows something different. This case is still playing out in court. I mean, technically it hasn't even made it to court, because presiding judge Wayne Wooten set the date for Sarah Boone's pretrial hearing to July 11th, 2023. This was a granted continuance, as I'm sure you can imagine given George's death happened in 2020, there's been quite a struggle trying to get Sarah in court. Some of the issues thus far include Sarah feeling as if her defense attorney, Frank Bankowitz, wasn't communicating with her enough, and she even wrote a letter in December 2021 to the presiding judge pleading for some assistance with her attorney. She also pledged to write one to the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, about the quote-unquote mismanagement of her case. Her attorney has also requested that trial proceedings be pushed back for multiple reasons, including conflicts with other cases he manages, and a simple lack of readiness for him to defend Sarah in court. This is where I think the lack of communication between him and Sarah comes from, because Frank Bankowitz had to explain to Judge Wooten that he was having trouble finding expert witnesses who would be willing to testify for the defense and work for the Justice Administrative Commission rates, which some have speculated are too low of compensation for any reputable expert witness to justify defending the actions of Sarah Boone. From this, I'm sure you can gather that whenever she does have her day in court, Sarah Boone intends to plead not guilty. It's been reported that Frank Bankowitz intends to use the battered spouse defense for Sarah, which is typically argued by domestic violence victims who believe the only way out of a dangerous or life-threatening situation is to kill their abusive partner. However, for Frank Bankowitz, it's been proven to be a difficult task to get expert psychologists or seasoned employees from battered women shelters to testify. According to him, nobody that he's been in contact with is willing to do so on Sarah's behalf. Not to mention that killing your abusive partner to escape domestic violence is a far cry from not intentional. Further, although the state of Florida does recognize the battered spouse defense to be valid, according to Mark Nayame, who is an unrelated criminal defense attorney that has commented on the record quite a bit in this case, it'll be tough for Sarah to use this defense. He cites that it's typically the women in heterosexual relationships that are the victims and the male who attempts to justify his violence, which for whatever reason holds up a lot better in court than the role reversal. Further, Sarah Boone will likely have to get on the stand herself and testify. She will have to prove that not only was she being abused by George, but that the abuse was ongoing and escalating. In any case, having the accused testify on their own behalf is always risky business, and we saw this in the case of Jody Arias, who simply couldn't help herself but continued to incriminate herself more and more. When she got on the stand in her own defense, she also decided to claim battered spouse syndrome and go completely off script, parading charity-branded t-shirts around the courtroom. 
It's hard to control what the defendant will say on the stand, and the stakes, especially in Sarah's case, are exceptionally high. In my own opinion, from the videos on Sarah's phone, it seems that in the situation captured resulting in George's death, Sarah was the one antagonizing George, which doesn't justify her killing him in this instance. Once George was in the suitcase, the video captures clearly George pleading for his life, letting Sarah know that he can't breathe, and as you heard, she willfully mocked his cries for help. Some have even speculated that this was an attempt to show George what it was like when he choked her. However, he clearly knows what it's like, given the criminal complaint from back in 2018 when Sarah was charged with aggravated battery for strangling him. To me, it doesn't seem like this particular situation was like many of the violent encounters the couple had previously with each other. It's of my own opinion that if Sarah's life was in danger, George was evidently subdued and Sarah could have left to get help and inform someone that he was in the suitcase. However, she instead chose to sit there and mock him while he begged for his life, and died what I can only imagine was a really slow and horrific death. Ever since I saw the videos of George Torres trapped in the blue suitcase, I've been stunned by the events that took place. This case deeply affects me, I think just because of the manner with which the violence happened, and also the dangers of domestic violence in general. When in a toxic relationship, there is no telling when an abusive partner, whether the battering is reciprocal or not, will snap. According to the 2020 National Coalition Against Domestic Violence fact sheet, in the United States, one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, sexual violence, and or stalking with, quote, impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, and contraction of sexually transmitted diseases. Further, the fact sheet states that intimate partner violence in the United States accounts for approximately 15% of all violent crime, and like we saw in the case of Sarah and George, only approximately 34% of victims receive medical care for injuries from intimate partner violence. Clearly, neither of them were part of that percentage. Even further, on a typical day, according to this sheet, more than 20,000 phone calls are placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide across the United States. Domestic violence is a pervasive epidemic, and it's important for all of us to remain vigilant for our family and friends. If you or someone you know is suffering from intimate partner violence, I will have various hotlines linked on my website at crimewopediapod.ca that are nation-specific. If you are in the United States, you can call 1-800-7999-7233, or you can text START in all capitals to 88788. By texting or calling, you will get yourself in contact with the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If you are in Canada, you can view shelter availability at sheltersafe.ca, or you can find specific hotlines for each province on my website or the Government of Canada's website. These situations don't have to end in irreversible violence. They don't have to end in murder. There is a way out of this and there are safe places to go. In the case of George Torres, his family is clearly extremely torn up about what happened to him. If not because of the nature of their relationship or simply the loss of a loved one, the circumstances of his death are horrific. But it doesn't have to be this way. And I hope you all know when listening now that it's so important to say something if you see something, 
Encourage any family members or friends that you may have in toxic relationships to reach out. And please, please take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast, and personally, a pretty difficult one at that. Given Sarah's pretrial hearing is taking place in July, I'll have any and all updates available on my Instagram at crimopediapod. You can also head there to request a case, which you can also do on my website at crimopediapod.ca, but I'll respond to either or, and I appreciate anyone who reaches out. Take care, everyone. I hope you're all well, and I'll see you back here on June 15th of 2023 for our next episode. <music>